What if Canada, the United Kingdom, New Zealand, and Australia came together to form a new coalition? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm your host, Angelo Sidoro, and this is Cancel This. We're going to be speaking to James Skinner, who is the founder and executive director of Kanzuk International. What is Kanzuk? Kanzuk is Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK. This has been a term that has existed for a while, but it's been esoteric. And the idea that is being proposed is that Canada and these three other countries come together to unite under not a single banner, but a banner of free trade, a banner of free movement, a banner of sharing our military uh, intelligence, which apparently we already do. And this is something that is hugely popular. Uh, I think over 70% of Canadians are for it. Um, I think 70% of uh, British individuals are for it. Um, and even more people in Australia and New Zealand. So this is an idea that has existed for a while, but now it's snowballing into something. It's snowballing into an idea of, you know, what if I want to have free movement or free trade with these countries that are so like us? They have similar development. They have similar human rights uh, levels. They have similar governments. They have the same head of state. So this isn't coming together like the EU, and James is going to explain that in the following interview, but it is something entirely new and exciting. And I think by the end of this conversation, you are going to be for Kanzuk, uh, if not interested in it. So please listen and let me know your thoughts. So Kanzuk comes off, at least in the beginning, as something very esoteric, but it's really not esoteric, especially when you look at how many people are for it. Could you just briefly explain what Kanzuk is? Yeah, sure. Um, Kanzuk obviously is uh, an acronym standing for Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. And I believe it was a term originally coined back in the 1960s, um, sort of as a way to describe how these four countries would loosely work together in the United Nations to vote similarly on resolutions. And that was often to the, the enjoyment and sometimes the dismay of other members in the UN. So for a period of time, uh, you know, a couple of decades even, um, that, that term Kanzuk was just sort of a, a very sort of distant, loose sort of um, acronym used to describe the way these countries have worked together. But um, in 2015, I founded the organization Kanzuk International, um, seeing the value that these four countries have and how they share, you know, a, a similar history, culture, ancestry through the Commonwealth, similar values, similar political systems, legal systems, uh, similar qualities of life. And I thought, you know what, these four countries would be ideal to shift that term Kanzuk away from just a sort of loose terminology, uh, more into a domain whereby these four countries could work together um, as a sort of a loose alliance, so to speak, and actually promote benefits for their citizens and for their economy. So today what Kanzuk effectively means is that these four countries would work together uh, to promote reciprocal migration agreements, whereby law-abiding citizens in these countries could live and work in each other's countries. Free trade as well, whereby barriers to commerce and tariffs would be completely removed, which would of course benefits businesses and economies. Um, and that also includes as well skills recognition. So professionals, uh, doctors, architects, mechanics, uh, whatever it may be, can live and work in these countries without having to retrain uh, to the excessive degree that they have to do today and also as well foreign policy cooperation. So whereby we can utilize the already existing uh, foundations we have through the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance that we share with the United States, 
that we can work together for foreign policy initiatives like security, intelligence, uh, working with the United Nations Security Council, NATO, and other organizations like that. So it's really come a long way since the 1960s from being just a simple loose terminology to more now a progressive idea that really is gaining momentum and becoming something whereby these four countries can actually work together on the global stage. So I think a lot of people who, again, aren't so plugged into this, listen to you and might think, oh, it's the EU, but for the Commonwealth. Is that is that an accurate representation? Uh, no, it, it, it's not. It, it's very understandable why people would think that. But um, the, the EU, obviously, you know, it, we're very cognitive that the EU did not work for a country like the United Kingdom. And that's why, of course, they voted to leave back in 2016. So it'd be complete folly to reintroduce something that's very much like the EU, uh, because of course the UK would never sign up. And of course the UK is one quarter of what Kanzuk is. So Kanzuk fortunately is, is something that shares similar, I, I guess you could say values as the EU does in terms of reciprocal migration for citizens and trade. Uh, but it actually, what, what I would say is actually it improves on the already existing framework that the EU has to be something much more suitable for uh, the 21st century and the Kansas countries. So whereas there is reciprocal migration uh, with EU countries, what the EU does have right now is a framework whereby there is very much unrestricted and unfettered free movement, um, which of course has its benefits, but it also has its drawbacks in the sense that if you're a part of a crime syndicate, you can easily cross borders and you know do illegal dealings or whatever it is you may be doing in other countries as well. Same if you're a part of a terrorist affiliation. Um, it's very easy for you as, a, you know, if, if you're part of a terrorist affiliation to cross borders within the EU because there's very few checks in place, especially within the Schengen Agreement. With Kansak, that doesn't actually happen. So just taking reciprocal migration, uh, what Kansak is basing itself off is what's called the Trans-Tasman Travel Agreement, uh, which is an agreement that exists right now between Australia and New Zealand. So. Many people don't realize, but Australian citizens can live and work freely in New Zealand and New Zealand citizens can live and work freely in Australia, uh, similar to the EU, but there are caveats in place. For example, um, if you have a serious criminal record uh, or a criminal conviction and you spent longer than say 12 months in prison, you are barred from entering either country under any free movement protocols. Uh, same if you're on a national security watch list, if you're part of a terrorist affiliation, you cannot enter. enter. And same as well if you have an infectious health condition, such as tuberculosis, whereby you might, be a, uh, you might pose a safety risk to other citizens in the host country. If you meet any of that criteria, then you are unable to travel. So it effectively offers the freedom and the opportunity to move between these two countries. But at the same time, there are what I deem to be common sense um, security measures in place to make sure that it does work for the betterment of everybody else as well. Um, and also as well, Australia and New Zealand have their own trade agreement in place under the Closer Economic Relations Trade Agreement, which does again emulate that of you know, the European Union as well, where they have the common market. But of course, the, the CER does offer uh, free trade between these countries, but it also goes a little step further, whereas, as I mentioned before, it does have that uh, protocol in place whereby professionals can live and work between the two countries. There are exceptions, of course, in terms of those in the medical field, because they do have to train a little bit in terms of the medical ethics of each of Australia and New Zealand. But for example, if you are an architect, if you're a mechanic, if you're a profession uh, in, in either Australia or New Zealand, you can move to either country and not have to retrain and spend thousands of dollars retraining and years retraining 
uh, you can just simply hop over to the other country and get a job straight away pretty much. So of course there's benefits in that sense as well. So um, it's understandable how people would think that Kansas is similar to the EU uh, and it does have similarities, but I, I, you know, maybe it's my biased opinion, but I, I think Kansas goes a little bit more of a commonsensical route whereby it does offer the freedoms and the opportunities that the EU offers, but it does also uh, entangle into it a, a degree of common sense uh, applicable for the 21st century to promote security and also national sovereignty as well. And that's the other thing as well that Kansas differs to the EU, whereby there wouldn't be a national, uh, or sorry, a supranational parliament. There wouldn't be a, a common currency between these countries. There wouldn't be a common court system. There wouldn't be a national anthem. Um, there wouldn't be any of the sort of the, the, the supranational bodies that the EU encompasses right now, because that was one of the reasons why the UK left the EU in the first place was because of the, you know, the, the sort of the, the way the EU is going towards uh, an ever closer union of federalist, uh, federalist, you know, a, a federalist state in that sense. Kansas wouldn't be that at all. It would simply be four countries working together on the international stage, uh, strictly preserving their international sovereignty and also their security as well. So there wouldn't be any sort of supranational federalist push to unite these countries in any way. It would just simply be an alliance of four like-minded nations. So, um, it, so like I say, it's got some similarities to the EU, but it has also got some common sense differences too, uh, which I think make it actually more popular um, than the EU within Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and especially the UK as well. Yeah, well, I, I think that's relieving, you know, because the EU, obviously, it has some upsides, but it certainly, we've discovered, has lots of downsides. I mean, uh, I'm Greek, I grew up in Greece. We obviously have a very complicated relationship with the EU. But I think when you look at Brexit, for example, you know, you wonder, well, why would Brits want to join a new sort of coalition when they just left another one? And I think, at least with most British people I know, they felt as though, well, I don't have anything in common with the unelected bureaucrat in Brussels. I don't have anything in common with a lot of these countries. And then, of course, you have the, the problem of inequality in terms of development, which I think is a big deal when you compare it to Kanzuk, where, you know, quite frankly, like if you look at Australia, New Zealand, the UK and Canada, we're not really that different in terms of how much you would get paid or benefits or even our government system. It's, it's almost identical, right? Our head of state is the same person. Um, so when you take that and compare it to, you know, the UK and Latvia or even, you know, Sweden with Greece, like, you know, pretty much all my cousins that are male in Greece have all fled to Sweden to marry Swedish girls and, and reap up benefits up there. So there's obviously an inequality in terms of development, which I think is very important. But when you look at these four countries, they're similar and, and anyone you speak to, whether they're Australian or, or, you know, British, you basically see eye to eye on most aspects. So it, it, it is sort of a no brainer. And that's why it's always interested me because I thought, well, you know, again, at first I thought, well, this must be very esoteric and, you know, would it ever catch on? But you've done some polling. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like the approvals for this? Sure. We actually uh, commissioned some independent polling and it was back in 2018. So obviously we're approaching 2021 now. So we need to actually revise that polling and we will be doing that in the uh, in the new year. Um, but our polling was actually very similar to what um, another organization had conducted two years prior to that called the Royal Commonwealth Society. Um, and, and our polling sort of emulated what they found. And that was significant public support 
in the Kansas countries for implementing the, uh, the policies that we've put forward, such as reciprocal mi migration, trade and foreign policy. Um, you know, in Canada, I believe it was about 76%. So over three quarters of Canadians actually favor increasing our ties in this way with Australia, New Zealand and the UK. Uh, in Australia, it was about 73%. The UK was about 68%. Uh, we expect that now to be higher, somewhere in the 70th percentile now. Um, and in New Zealand, it was actually the highest with 82%. So vast, vast majority of New Zealanders really favor the initiative of Kansak and the opportunities it can provide for citizens in that way. And hmm. again, it sort of ties into to what you were exactly saying there is that, um, you know, the, the EU does have its benefits, of course, but there are obviously the drawbacks, like you say, for example, if someone uh, is living in Poland and they can do the same job in the United Kingdom uh, for better pay, better working conditions, more holidays, more benefits if they happen to go unemployed. Well, of course, there's going to be that sort of migration influx into the UK, which, of course, causes a lot of strain on the infrastructures of both the UK and also as well for Poland, because the best and the brightest are leaving Poland to go to the UK. And of course, that's just one country. You know, if you have any country in the European Union that is, you know, perhaps to say less developed than the UK, economically speaking, or even socially speaking, uh, then of course there's going to be that migration influx in, in, you know, from one place to another, which causes problems. But um, you know, taking Australia and New Zealand for example, they've done it perfectly, whereby you have two like-minded countries, and you don't see the the migration influx from one country to to the other as, as you would. In the aforementioned example, so for example, you know nobody from New Zealand, um, you know, floods into Australia because Australia has better healthcare. Um, nobody from Australia goes to New Zealand because there's better working conditions there. You know, it, the, the migration between the two countries is very equal in that sense, uh, respective of their populations, because both countries have very similar qualities of life. They have very similar employment standards, very similar healthcare standards. And the same would apply for Canada and the UK as well. If Canada was to join into Kansas and the UK was to join the Kansas with Australia and New Zealand, then of course you wouldn't see that migration influx from any of these four countries to the others because the qualities of life are so similar. You know, we have the same sort of uh, respect for democracy, human rights, the rule of law, uh, same employment standards, very low unemployment rates, very good GDP per capita rates. So there really is no reason to believe that, it, you know, the negatives that we've seen in the EU, whereby there's migration influx from one country to the other would happen in Kansas in that way. And, you know, I, I think that obviously resonates with a lot of people as a, a very common sense approach. I think that also is accountable to why Kansak is so popular um, from our polling as well, and also from the Royal Commonwealth Society's polling as well uh, that they did before us, is that it just has that common sense element to it. Um, and of course, it, it's just sort of uh, commonsensical to think that, you know, this would benefit citizens uh, in multiple ways in terms of employment opportunities, in terms of business opportunities, uh, free trade, even those who, you know, perhaps have family in these countries and are unable to spend significant amounts of time with them there uh, because of the arduous visa controls that are in place right now, you know, just simply having those relaxed for law-abiding citizens, as what Australia and New Zealand does, it has got tremendous benefits for, you know, citizens of the Kansas countries in that way. Well, and you mentioned right before that, that, you know, you've been to Vancouver, you lived in Vancouver, I'm in Vancouver myself, so you're aware of how many Aussies there are here. There's so many Australians, right? And there's so many people that I know that are, you know, especially students who, when I've explained this to people, they sort of jump up and they're like, wow, I can just go and study abroad and I don't have to do this big arduous process or I can go live there for a while, then come here. There's an aspect to it that's not only common sense, but it's also kind of cool 
So it, it doesn't surprise me that most people are behind it. I, I think, you know, something I wanted to ask you about was the fact that there's been a discussion in our culture lately um, in terms of our business or our trade with countries that do not either meet our development levels or are simply not free market democratic countries. I, I think a lot of people have taken a step back and said, well, you know, especially with COVID, why are we making so much of our products in China? Why are we trading so much with countries that, you know, you want to create a product, they might use slave labor, they might use children, they don't have the same benefits, they don't have unions. You begin to wonder whether globalization, as, we, as we've done it since the 1980s, uh, hasn't necessarily worked in terms of exporting freedom. Like, I, I wonder if Kanzuk is a way of having ethical capitalism, ethical trade. It's free trade, but it is, it is ethical because we are trading with nations that have the same human rights level. So I, I wonder, do you think Kanzuk, just by virtue of what it's going for, would distance these countries uh, from China? It's, it's a really good question. Um, I, I mean, obviously, Kanzuk works, again, from a trading perspective, because what it's effectively doing is having Canada and the UK join on to the templates that Australia and New Zealand have already put in place. So as I mentioned before, with a closer economic relations trade agreement that exists with Australia and New Zealand right now, that does allow for the, the free movement of goods and services between the two countries and also skills recognition. And what that effectively revolves around is the initiative of trust, is that in Australia, they say, okay, whatever is manufactured and produced and sold in New Zealand can be sold here and vice versa in New Zealand with Australia too. And of course, Canada and the UK are some of the most uh, if not the most trustworthy partners that Australia and New Zealand can have and vice versa for all the four countries in general, really. So to have, you know, a product that's manufactured and sold in those countries then be trusted to be sold uh, or manufactured in, in any of the other countries as well. Of course, it's just testimony to the, the big sort of trust level that these countries have. But as, as, as well, the the big sort of like beauty of Kanzuk as well is, is that Unlike the European Union, which simply says that once you're a member of the European Union, you have to abide by our rules and you cannot set your own trade agreements with anybody else. It has to go through us first, which, of course, is a, a big issue for a lot of countries in the EU and especially was for the UK. With Kansak, as I, as, as I said before, it is simply four countries working independently, um, but together in the same way that, that they are sovereign and they do remain independent, but they just work together. So if Canada, for example, was to formulate a free trade agreement or even join on to the closer economic relations trade agreement that Australia and New Zealand have, it could still set its own trade terms with other countries around the world. And of course, that's just the epitome of democracy, really, is that, you know, a country should have its own independent decision to, in my opinion, to trade with whatever country it is around the world. Now, preferably that, you know, whichever country that is, it's a country that respects and values democracy and human rights and the rule of law. And of course, there's a big controversy right now uh, with China and the trade that we have with China because of that reason. But if Canada was to join Kanzuk and have a trade agreement with the UK and New Zealand and Australia, it wouldn't prevent Canada from also trading with, you know, any other country that wants to do a trade deal um, with the Canadian government. And of course, it would be up to the Canadian government then to decide, well, you know, do the values of this country match what, you know, we want to see in, in part of a trade agreement. And then, of course, that would be up to the, the government and also up to the people then to decide if they want to keep that government after they've done that or if they want to have a different election or whatever it may be. 
So you know, it really does differ to the EU in that sense. It's not just a closed market whereby a supranational authority is deciding what trade agreements can be done. Uh, it, it's, it's very much four independent sovereign countries working together. Uh, and then each country will also be able to branch out to um, whatever other countries they wanted to. And of course, that's it's one of the big myths that, you know, one of the big criticisms that Kansak has right now from a UK perspective is that a lot of people say, well, you know, Kansak trade is never going to replace EU trade. And I always say, I agree, absolutely. You know, EU trade with the UK right now accounts for about 40% of UK exports, uh, if not higher. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that, the, you know, the UK cannot join Kansak and also do a trade deal with the EU. No one is saying that, you know, Kansak has to be absolute and, you know, all inclusive and, and just these four countries trading and there can never be any other trade agreements ever again. Uh, completely the opposite, actually, you know, these countries acting independently and, and you know, under, under sovereign terms can negotiate whatever trade agreements they want. So um, really, it's just simply free trade amongst free trading and free like-minded nations uh, to benefit our economies and to benefit our businesses. And then, of course, it would be up to each independent sovereign government to decide what are the trade agreements they wanted to branch out to across the world uh, in addition to that. Yeah, well, you raise a good point with the UK. I think it's similar here where, I mean, look, it's we haven't addressed the big American elephant in the room, but obviously the United States plays a, a pretty major role in our trade. Um, I would imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but were Kansas to go through, suddenly Canada or the UK or New Zealand or Australia would suddenly have a lot more leverage in its negotiations with, you know, the United States just in terms of products. I think I was reading somewhere, just doing research that, you know, um, chicken and poultry, the way the way they 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 treat certain animals that are for slaughter in, in the states. They don't meet certain guidelines compared to the guidelines that we have across our Kansas countries. So we would then, I think, have a discussion. Again, I, I wonder if it goes back to the ethics of it, but certainly we would have more leverage as a new, you know, superpower or whatever you want to call it, would we not? We certainly would, absolutely. I mean, not just in terms of trade. I mean, of course, obviously these countries could come together and say, well, you know what, these are our collective standards that we have. Um, which, of course, acting together is much more powerful than simply acting alone, especially against a major player like the United States. Um, so it's, it's not just trade that it would benefit as well, but also in terms of security and defense. Um, of course, there's, there's been tremendous talk. And I believe um, Bob Seeley, who, who is an MP, uh, very supportive of Kansak in the UK, he's also recommended that, you know, with the UK's uh, seat at the United Nations Security Council, uh, we could even turn that into... A, a, effectively what would be a Kansas seat, whereby, you know, it, it obviously wouldn't be official, but, you know, the UK could uh, speak with Canada, Australia, New Zealand and say, well, these are the initiatives that we're going to bring forward to the, the UNSC. What are our main goals together as, as four like-minded nations to promote peace and security in the world? So effectively, you'd have, you know, much more collaboration at a UN level, but also an international security level as well, whereby, the United States wouldn't just be the, the sole big player in terms of international peacekeeping. You know, Kansa acting collectively would also have a say um, with the United States, and especially in, you know, today's day and age, whereby you have rising threats from China, North Korea, Iran, and many other nations that are hostile to Western civilization. You know, it's really good to have like-minded entities come together, uh, especially with the United States, because we, we, we already have the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, which 
Uh, for people who don't know that, you know, these four countries, the Kansas countries plus the USA work together on what is uh, the most comprehensive signals, human and military intelligence capabilities anywhere seen in the world. So to advance that collaboration with the USA and then to work together as four like-minded nations, not only great for trade, but also as well for international security and peacekeeping, especially with the rising threats that we're seeing from hostile countries like China as well. So um, really it's beneficial all around, you know, for all four of us to come to the table and say, you know what, we're stronger working together than we are individually right now. Well, I, I think what you're saying goes back to the common sense of things because, you know, when, when we've witnessed, you know, threats of security or even horrible attacks that we've seen happen in the UK or happen, you know, in New Zealand with, you know, the a terrorist attack that occurred there. As a Canadian, you know, at least for me, there's a sense of camaraderie that I feel when I, when I see what happens in, you know, an attack in London or an attack in New Zealand or Australia, you, you sort of have this feeling of, well, these are, are similar. These are our people. We should do something. We should intervene. We should cooperate. We should help each other just because we are so similar as, you know, as nations. So I think everything you're saying makes sense, like even at the technical level, but I think even at the social level, what helps this really be sold to Canadians and sold to, you know, people in the Commonwealth is the fact that there's really not many downsides. Um, you know, I wonder what exactly is stopping this from happening? Because you said you started this in 2015. Um, Kanzuk has certainly become very popular since then. So obviously you're doing good work because, you know, more people know about it now. I understand that Prime Minister Boris Johnson is for it. Um, obviously, we we'd need all four to be for it for it to work. What if you could speak for Canada? What is stopping it from going ahead in Canada? So you, you've very slightly touched on it there, actually. So Kanzak is obviously um, it, it, it's it's an initiative that it isn't just like uh, many other campaigns around you know the world. So. Uh, for example, what we're doing at Kansas International, we're trying to encourage policy change, not just in one country, which in itself is hard enough. Uh, we're trying to encourage policy change in this way between four countries who are effectively on, on different sides of the world, really, and in different time zones. And it can sometimes make, you know, meetings and even now virtually, it can be so difficult just sometimes, you know, encouraging these meetings to happen. And of course, as well, you've got four different governments as well. Some are, I guess you could say, left-wing, like what you have here in Canada and in New Zealand, and some are right-wing, like what you have in the UK and Australia. So, of course, they also have different agendas as well. Some are more for it, some are, you know, less for it, even though they are for it, but they, they of course, have different sort of priorities on each of their different agendas. And then there could be some times where Kansas will rise up the agenda, and then something will happen, such as, you know, a, a big natural disaster or a big sort of national initiative that's happened. And of course, Kansas goes back down the agenda. And like I say, having that in four countries, not just one country, but four, can make it very, very challenging sometimes. So, you, you know, this was started in 2015. And of course, you know, it's taken about five years now to get the momentum that we need now. Um, but it's taken that long just simply for those reasons that logistically it is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, but it's just because of our hard work and because of our, you know, dedication that we're doing at Kansas International as to why the momentum has now started moving forward. And uh, it's taken five years, but the thing is about working with governments and working in politics is that once that 
uh, once that momentum is rolling, once the conversation starts to happen, things do start to pick up steam a lot quicker. It's very much like a boulder rolling down the hill. It, it, it's incredibly difficult to get the boulder moving in the first place, but once that boulder starts rolling, it starts picking up speed more and more. And these conversations and these you know, discussions between the four countries start happening a lot easier. So it's, it's been incredibly difficult to, to get that ball rolling in the first place, but the fact that it is now moving now puts us in a very good position for 2021 and the discussions that we're gonna have upcoming now in the new year. Um, especially as the UK is now leaving the European Union. That also, of course, puts the UK in, in a very sort of uh, perspective of independence, and we can now trade with who we want to trade with. We can introduce initiatives with whichever country we want to introduce an initiative with. Um, so, you know, from a Canadian perspective as well, of course, it, it's it's also taken a bit of time because, you know, we've done a lot of outreach across the, the Canadian political parties. Um, and we, we've had a, a lot of interest from the Conservatives and not as much from the Liberal um, government here. And it's anybody's guess as, as to why perhaps, the, you know, the Conservatives are more in favour of Kansak as opposed to, you know, the Liberals. That, that really is anybody's guess. But, um, you know, at, at the same time here in, in Canada, it, it's always easier to have a very receptive um, political party who supports Kansak as opposed to one that doesn't, because obviously you make more headway that way. So uh, we're doing our absolute best as, you know, we're doing it. We're doing. We're trying very, very hard to reach as many MPs as we possibly can, both in the Liberals, Conservatives, and NDP. Um, but of course, it, it's just one of these things that takes time. And of course, the Liberal government have their own agenda right now with with uh, different initiatives that they want to tackle, especially with COVID nineteen going on. So um, you know, all we can do is just keep trying and keep trying and building the grassroots support that we have, and building the political support that we have, and increasing that pressure on MPs to support cancer can eventually get the ball rolling, especially as the new year comes uh, with the UK becoming independent and also with the new New Zealand government that's in place too. So uh, we're gonna keep on working as hard as we can to make sure that happens. Yeah, well, I, I certainly hope that it doesn't turn into a partisan issue. It, it is sort of strange to me that it it sort of is in Canada because given how popular it is, I mean, you, you shared the numbers earlier, you'd think it would be wise of every party to say, okay, this is, Every, everybody wants to do this, basically. And I do understand that there is a petition now live um, for our parliament, so that's something that, that we can share. Uh, in terms of the future, I mean, let's say we get to a situation where this does happen, where all four countries, all four governments say, okay, we're in. Uh, does Kanzuk go anywhere from there? Do you eventually include, like, South Africa or other places that have previously been in the Commonwealth? Yes, really good question. Of course, it's, it's probably one of the biggest questions that we get is, oh, well, can we effectively in the future make this a Kanzuk Plus? Um, and of course, there's been lots of suggestions thrown around, such as the United States, such as South Africa, Ireland, Norway, Singapore. Um, right now, me personally, and I, I fully admit that it, ultimately it's, it's not my decision, you know, with absolute respect to democracy, um, it, it might be my ambition to make Kansak happen, but what happens with Kansak is entirely up to the people of these four countries, and that should be the attitude of everybody who supports Kansak, but also absolutely and fundamentally respects democracy. So all I can do is just give my opinion on it. Um, and with that said, I right now would favour Kansak just strictly remaining as Kansak, being Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the UK. Um, simply because these countries are so like-minded. In fact, I don't actually know any other countries in the world who are so like-minded as the Kansas countries in terms of economy, in terms of society, culture, 
ancestry, whatever it may be. So these four countries having those links in that way make it so easy for Kanzak to happen. You know, to have another country come in which might not have those cultural ties or those, you know, those economic ties in place might just complicate matters as well. And of course, you know, not, not to bad talk the EU, but we've, we've also seen as well that the bigger something comes in terms of its membership from countries, the more complicated things become. Uh, the EU has had that right now, you know, had a big growth period in terms of membership. And now as of 2016, it's actually lost someone. And, um, you know, that there's also a, a rising anti-EU movement in the European Union right now because it's effectively become so big that it's, um, I, I don't know if it will collapse under its own weight, but it's, it, it's you know, a lot of people are, are saying that, you know, it, it is starting to collapse under its own weight because it's become so big. So you've always got to be cognitive that when other countries want to um, be a part of something like Kanzak, then of course it does run that risk that it becomes so complicated with so many different voices and so many different opinions and so many different ways of looking at things that it can just become more trouble than it's worth. With that said though, and tying back to what I said about, you know, the absolute fundamental respect for democracy, if it was to become a Kanzak plus, so let's say, uh, take a country, for example, like Singapore was to, was to eventually join on. So it would become Kanzaks, uh, although at that point I'd probably recommend a name change. But you know, if it was to expand to another country, um, I would absolutely fundamentally believe that the, uh, the populations of Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the UK should have a say in that matter. So ideally, my preference would be a referendum is held in each of these countries um, to say, should this country, whether it's Singapore, Norway, whatever it may be, join on, you know, to the relations that we have existing uh, with, you know, Kanzak. And then, of course, it would be a unanimous decision amongst all Kanzak populations to decide if a country would come on and join Kanzak in that way. That would be my preferable approach because, you know, that way, having democracy as a fundamental uh, cornerstone of what Kanzak is, it really is valuing democracy in that sense. And it's giving the people a say as to what other countries would come on to enjoy the benefits that Kansak would offer in terms of reciprocal migration, trade, foreign policy, skills recognition, whatever it may be. So, um, like I said, that would just be my preference. But ultimately, you know, my sole goal right now is just simply focusing on these four countries. Um, right now, I don't have any intention uh, to bring in other countries, as, as a lot of like you know myths and. Uh, you know, a lot of false narratives on the internet are saying that it's a global agenda to bring in, you know, hundreds of countries across the world and a one world government. You know, it's hilarious when I read that stuff, but it is all just myth and it's not true. You know, my sole, sole focus right now is just for these four countries. Um, and I think it, it probably will be for, for a long, long period of time. And if there ever was a possibility of another country coming in, like I say, I would favor a democratic referendum in each of these four countries to decide if that happens. Yeah, well, well it, it doesn't surprise me at all that you have conspiracy theories on the internet about globalism and, and all of that. But I mean, look, you're doing really great work because again, since 2015, more people know about it. Um, you know, when the post-millennial has reported on Kanzuk, our videos have done incredibly well. Uh, so it's not esoteric. There's clearly a hunger for it. Uh, and I think the work you're doing is, is really incredible. So who knows if there'll be more countries, but I think you're correct in, in saying, look, let's, let's cross that bridge when we get to it. Let's get this done and, uh, and just build a better future. So James, uh, thank you so much for coming on. No, I appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me on. And of course, uh, if you do any more of these podcasts, I'd be delighted to come. So just let me know. Awesome. awesome.
That was James Skinner. He is the executive director and founder of Kanzuk International. That's Kanzuk International. Um, if you are convinced, if you are sold, if you feel like, you know what, I'm in, I like this, uh, I think we should look into this, uh, go to kanzukinternational.com and support them. This is something that needs to be pushed so politicians and governments can understand that this is something the people want. Clearly the people want it. Polling shows the people want it. Uh, and we just need to convince governments to do so. I believe the UK is already on board. Canada is not on board, um, but the other countries seemingly are on board. So it does seem to be uh, somewhat up to Canada at the moment. So if you are Canadian and you're listening to this uh, and you want this, make your voice heard because it can happen and it looks like it may just happen. So uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please like and share. If you're listening to this on Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, please follow us. Please give us a review as well. It really helps us. Uh, and I really appreciate you listening. Until next time, thank you.